Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Are you ready for the word today? Amen. Well, let me just encourage you today. Uh, you know, I had a thought, and I just want to go ahead and share this thought with you. It's not in my notes. It's absolutely free of charge. Um, but I just wanted to share this with you. Do you, know, do you know that God has blessed you? And do you know that the scale of your blessing is not always comparative? You know, I, I looked at, I was watching the Samaritan's Purse video. And it's, it's so often times, you know, the, the, it's when we see things like that, the, the, the less fortunate, the underprivileged, whatever, that, you know, we're, we're almost maybe sometimes pharisaical a little bit and just looking on at those situations and, and being like, Lord, I thank you that. And, and by comparison, Lord, when I compare myself to my neighbor when I compare myself to somebody else to the guy I met on the street I just I realize how blessed I am let me tell you something you are to get up every day under the grace and the mercy of God and realize how blessed you are without having to compare yourself to somebody else you ought to just be able to stand in God's favor and God's anointing and God's blessing for your life and declare I am blessed if I wake up tomorrow morning under a bridge, I am blessed. If I have to spend the rest of my life in a cardboard box, I am blessed because I know that the things of this life are temporal and fleeting, but His grace and His goodness is forever, and I rest in the goodness of God, and I am blessed by the same, and He is a good God worthy of all my praise and adoration. Amen? Amen. So have that thought in mind as we move into the message today. Listen, God has truly blessed us. And if there's one thing I believe that our adversary wants to do is to so blind us that we fail to recognize how blessed we are. I believe it's the goal of the enemy to set roadblocks in our hearts for thanksgiving and we become drained of thankfulness. And, and one of the ways that he does that is to somehow or another tempt us to believe that, you know, we've done something to deserve what we have, therefore the blessings that we enjoy are the produce, produce of our own hard work and determination. The enemy, I believe, is working overtime to blind us to the magnitude of God's blessing. He works through our own minds to deceive us and rob us from the blessings that we've been granted. And last week we spoke about how the enemy, uh, uh, the, the enemy of entitlement, that one of, the, one of the primary enemies of thanksgiving, we also talked about, if you're just joining us, the value of thanksgiving in our lives, that it is a powerful, powerful tool, that if you and I are thankful people, we are generally happier people, more satisfied people, and it is a blessing in our lives if we are thankful people, and the enemy is warring against that, and one of the ways that he wars against that is through a sense of entitlement, that somehow or another, I have what I have because I've done what I've done. Now granted, you can make good choices in life, you can make bad choices in life, but you know, really, in the grand scheme of things, you can make all the good choices you want to apart from the favor of God and still end up at squat, right? Right? So, 
um, you know, we're, we're, we're combating that in this series and just talking about some things that are essential in our lives so that we can be thankful people because I promise you if you will live as a thankful person, not just observe a holiday, you will be a lot better off in life outside of a day in November. So today we're going to take a look at another element that helps to fill our hearts with thanksgiving and that element is contentment. A thankful heart requires contentment you and I must learn and can I tell you something this is not a thing of I have it or I don't the world the world systems the marketers the retailers everybody everything in this world is aimed at robbing from you a sense of contentment just that that what you have is enough you, you, you need something more. I, I want to spend a few minutes in clarification because as we begin to talk about contentment, I don't want you to become confused with the true sense of what this means for your life. So, I, I want to first talk to you about how contentment translates into our lives. When I say contentment, you maybe think that that means just kind of taking it easy and being at rest and always in a posture lacking in pursuit or passion or any such thing, but that is not contentment. Contentment is not tantamount, tantamount to laziness. They're, they're not the same thing. Being content doesn't mean that we never have any more desire or ambition for forward progress and advancement I mean you cannot read the Bible you cannot study scripture and come to a conclusion that you and I need to be passionless about this life that we need to lack diligence in our pursuits or that we don't need to believe God for greater still you cannot, you cannot, as a matter of fact, what is, what is a verse that you and I recite often? You've heard it over and over and over again at Faith Assembly Church. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above everything that we ask or think. Be the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. Right, so we're not, we're not, we're not talking about that. Listen, I believe the Bible shares with us that Christians should strive for excellence. And I, I, know, I know what the Word says in, in the book of Colossians that whatever your hand finds to do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Listen, you and I, we're not to offer God any half-hearted junk. He deserves our best. Always. And speaking about uh, spiritual gifts, the Bible says that you and I should set our sights on, that we should be desirous of, that we should be even, even zealous for the best gifts. Isn't that what Paul wrote, wrote to the church at Corinth? That we should desire the best gifts. And listen, God has promised to prosper us, to give us a future and a hope, and you and I should be striving to position ourselves as recipients of that promise. We just should. And God has said in his word that we need not be satisfied being the tail. He said we're the head. 
not the tail. And we shouldn't be satisfied being at the, at the back. Listen, I am a child of the king. I, I understand, you know, I, there's people that say, you know what, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You, you, I am a sinner saved by grace. Understand that, but that translates into something more. I'm now no longer just a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of the Most High God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm not here trying to teach you some prosperity gospel this morning, but I'm just here giving you some hard truth today to help you understand that you stand in your life positioned and poised through Christ Jesus to be blessed above measure and you are and you are already so to never want anything more to never have desires and strive for excellence and betterment is a different term and I don't want you to be confused today between the two and the other term is not contentment but it's complacency to be complacent means that you're absolutely satisfied with where you are and what you have and you have no more desire to move forward. Now I'm going to tell you something, complacency and just being honest, I believe it's an observation, nothing scientific about it. Complacency I believe is much more uh, predominant in our spiritual lives than it is in our physical lives. That we, we can get to plateaus spiritually and we're ju we just fall out in complacency and we're okay with where we're at. I, I think we, we wrestle more with complacency or less with complacency in our natural lives. But nonetheless, uh, to, to be complacent, again, means that you are absolutely satisfied with where you are. You have no more desire to move forward. Complacent. Complacent leaders stall the growth of organizations. Complacent people uh, uh, cease to pull together with those around them for the forward movement of anything. People who are complacent spiritually are standing in a precarious position. And if you are perfectly satisfied with your gr growth and development as a disciple of Jesus Christ and you have no further desire for the things of the Lord, you are spiritually complacent and you are in a bad, bad, dangerous place. If you're complacent, you will always be whatever you are right now at the very best. Or you'll regress. But you will not move forward. You will not grow. You will not flourish. Complacency dismisses zealousness, drive, determination. But contentedness doesn't do any of those things. Contentedness doesn't dismiss zealousness. As a matter of fact, I, I think that Jesus, uh, according to Scripture, is our model in all things. And we would know that if there is a spiritual principle, the Word says that He was perfect. And if there's a spiritual principle that you and I, spiritual discipline that you and I need to have in our lives, it has been modeled by him. And, you know, the, the prophetic word concerning Jesus we find in Psalm 69, we believe that he was a content man, but we also see here it says that for zeal for your house has consumed me. 
So he was a content man, but he was also a zealous man. So I, I want to I just liberate you this morning if you come and you're listening to a message on contentedness and thinking that you've got to shelve all of your dreams and all of your pursuits and all of your goals and ambitions. That's not what contentedness is. And I'm spending time on this because so often if we begin to talk about contentedness, I'm met with about a half a dozen people at the door at the end of service and say, oh, pastor, you're right, you're right, you're right. I think it's time for me to take a break from serving at the church. That is not a word from the Lord. That is a word from someplace else. And I do not receive it. We too should be zealous for the things of God. The Bible says, blessed is the man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be filled. This is not a pictorial of spiritual rest, but a pursuit, a passionate, zealous quest for everything that we can possibly attain of the promises of God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. I'm zealous for you, God. I want more of you. I want everything that you have for me, yet I will be content with where I am. When we get to a place spiritually that we have no hunger, we have no thirst, we are in a dangerous state. I know I've said it before. I'm not repeating myself. I'm reminding you. When we get to a place that we spiritually have no hunger, no spiritual thirst, we are in a dangerous state and we are nearer to the position of a backslider than we have ever been. The antithesis of contentment is discontentment or a lack of contentment. And I like many of you, could probably tear out pages or even chapters of my own life to illustrate for you the power of discontentedness and might I say the detrimental effect of discontentedness and how it wreaks havoc in our lives and if we are not careful to guard our hearts against it will destroy us emotionally, spiritually and maybe even physically. Let me ask you a question here to illustrate this point. How many of us have ever become so discontent with what we have? Our position at work, the car we drive, what, whatever. You fill in your own blank. That you almost become disgusted with where you are or what you have because it's not what you want or might I say even what somebody else has suggested that you should want or what the possessions or position of your neighbor indicates that you should want how many of us from that place of disgust ever transitioned into what we thought was going to be our dream come true to only find ourselves looking back and longing for what we once had. You ever done that? You know, it's the whole grass is greener on the other side thing. It just, it looks so good and we feel like we have got to have it even though it's not in God's will or God's timing for us. 
we just give pursuit to it out of discontent. We're not waiting on God. We're trying to make things happen for ourselves. We can look at the life of Abraham and Sarah. We could look at so many more throughout Scripture and just see where a discontentedness with the season, a discontentedness with whatever, the station, translated into something that was very hard. Discontentedness is a dangerous place to live. Listen. An action rooted in discontentment will oftentimes be a very rapid lesson to learn that the grass is not always greener on the other side. One of my friends always says that the grass may be greener on the other side, but you may discover that's because it grows over a septic tank. I've been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. It was discontentment that the devil used in the garden to sway Adam and Eve. Discontentedness has been the undoing of many, many, many great men and women. It has ruined marriages. It has ruined personal finances. It has wrecked emotions. Discontentment turns our eyes away from God and to the allure of the world. It is discontentedness that will cause a man to lie, cheat, and steal rather than trust God for his blessing. It was discontentment that caused many in the scripture to fall. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? If you, don't, if you don't remember them, find them in the book of Acts. Read their story. It is tragic, and it's all caused by discontentedness. They didn't have the praise or the applause or the accolades that their neighbor had, and they thought they needed to do something to get that, but they didn't go about it the right way, and they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they died as a result. Achan, you can read about Achan in the Old Testament, a man who, who stole the Babylonian, he didn't steal it, he just kind of took it, he wasn't supposed to take it, all the spoils of the war were supposed to be burned and he took a little something, something for himself and hid it under the floor of his tent. It resulted in he and his whole family being burned in the tent, destroyed. But discontentment robs our hearts of thankfulness and discontentedness causes us to forfeit the blessings of God for something that we all too quickly sometimes find out that we really didn't want. We just didn't know it at the time. Discontentment will rob you of the blessings of today. I, I hope that as we're going through this series that you're spending enough time reflecting on God's blessing in your life that that inventory of blessings begins to populate a little quicker. You remember last week's exercise? I said, how many of you are facing problems? Everybody raised their hands, and that's true. I mean, we all encounter things in this life. And then I said, how many of you are blessed? And everybody raised their hands because we're in church and you're supposed to raise your hands because God is good all the time. That's right, you, you're trained, you're trained good. We got you, you know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Ta. But the honest truth is, if you and I were to really be honest with ourselves, sometimes we can, when we're asked, are we facing problems, we can generate an inventory of problems a lot quicker than we can generate a list of blessings. 
because we spend so much more time, a disproportionate amount of time focusing on what's wrong rather than re recounting and, and, and just remembering what's right. I want to share with you a principle from the Bible that perhaps you've heard it before, but I, I want you just to underscore it in your thoughts how contentment adds to our lives. And if we're thankful people, we'll, we'll be will have a great addition in our lives. As a matter of fact, contentment adds to our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes to his young protege here, and he says, but godliness, you're a godly group. I mean, you're at the early service. You have a special anointing on your lives. You're a godly group, and godliness is one thing. But godliness with contentment, Paul says, is great gain. I, I believe that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have any hope of eternity with Jesus ought to be the happiest, most joyful, exuberant, optimistic, faith-filled. I could go on and on and on, but I want people on the face of the planet. As we really understand the principles of Scripture that Paul says that it, if in this life alone I had hope of Christ, I above all men would be most pitiable but Paul says, I know that there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness and not just for me, but for everyone that loves his appearing. If we really got that down on the inside of us, we ought to be a satisfied and a happy people. So godliness is one thing. But I've got to tell you something. I've met some godly people who were some of the saddest, sourest people that I have ever met in my life. Nothing's right. Everything's wrong. You should not have to meet people in church and avoid asking them how they're doing. You I mean, pray with me. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord. I get it. We need to be caring. We need to be compassionate. I'm not dismissing any of that stuff. But there's just some people, you don't ask them how they're doing because you do not have time. And you heard it the past three weeks in a row. Godliness is one thing. Godliness with the contentment is great gain. How many of you would like a raise? Those are nice. Sometimes they're a necessity. But I dare say that for most of us, if we simply learn the art of contentment, it would probably be equal to a raise in pay for most of us. Because we would stop buying things we don't need to impress people we don't like with money we don't have. If, if we would learn to be as thankful for what we have as we are concerned for what we don't have, it would be a great wealth to our lives. 
And in Matthew's gospel, you remember the words of Jesus as, he, as he's there teaching and he says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, listen, the, all the things, that's God's business. That is the, that is the, the MO of Jehovah Jireh. He's taking care of all these things you and I are to steward our soul steward our heart steward our minds steward our thoughts and and of course position ourselves and not be slothful but then God takes care of all these things we just learn to live in contentment with the blessing you listen you can't seek God with a heart full of discontent you can't seek God distracted by what you don't have. Contentment doesn't always mean that you're exactly pleased with the way things are. Contentment doesn't mean that you wouldn't like for things to change. How many of you got things in your life right now you'd like for them to change? There's something at work, something. You just, you, I mean, it, that's real life. It's okay. All right? I'm not telling you that's not okay. It, but can, you can be content even in a state of wishing things were different. Contentment simply means that you are putting your situation in the hands of the Lord and you are receiving back from Him His strength and blessing wherever you are on life's highway. Now I want to give you a portrait of contentment here. Of a man who knew the adversities that this life had to offer. And the same man who also penned the aforementioned words to Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the lesson that he learned. Now, how many of you know, are you familiar with Philippians chapter 4 verse 13? How many of you have magnets with that inscribed on it? Bumper stickers, t-shirts. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I just, I, I lead with that because so often we wrest that verse from its context and I believe that in doing so, we, we set up a false expectation that we're going to see victories without fighting. That we're going to just receive blessing without seasons of struggle. That we're going to just always be in the most favorable place. And I think it sets up a false expectation that leads to disappointments oftentimes in our lives. Not only naturally but spiritually as well. There are three very important rules of Bible study. Context. Context. And context. Because a verse rest from its context can't mean something for you and I that it never meant to the original recipients. So I want you to listen how Paul finally arrives at this conclusion that he can do all things through Christ who gives him the strength. Beginning in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, 
And I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Did you, you catch that build there? Whether living in plenty or in want, whether well-fed or hungry, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, I don't, there's nothing, nothing. I don't think that Paul got shipwrecked and said, oh, bless the Lord. When I woke up this morning, I thought to myself, what a great day for shipwreck. I would love to float ashore on a piece of a broken up ship. No. Oh, what a great day for a viper strike. What a great day for a stoning. That would be amazing. No, I don't think that Paul ever thought that one time in his life. But when you are satisfied in the strength that Christ offers you learn to find joy in Him, realizing that when He's all you have, He's all you need. And that is the beginning of learning how to be content, is to find a strength that is outside of ourselves, that comes only from Jesus. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, and His name is Jesus. I want to challenge you as you stand. I want to challenge you to measure your pursuits against this word today. Is a quest for things that you don't have robbing you of the joy and the blessing of what you have been given? Is an eye turned towards another person robbing you from intimacy with your spouse that God has blessed you with? Is your heart so turned towards material things that your children seem like strangers? Are you so engulfed with the struggle for more that you can't enjoy what you have? And again, I'm not, I'm not here advocating for laying aside pursuits and goals and dreams. None of that. But contentment adds great blessings to our lives and it fills our hearts with thanksgiving and it causes us to live from a place where our cup is overflowing. We're, we're not glass half empty people, but if we are content and we are happy in Jesus, we will be glass not only half full, but we will be glass overflowing people and we will be drinking from our saucers because our cup is overflowing. Amen? Don't quit pressing ahead. Don't quit pressing ahead, but don't let your pursuits overshadow your blessings. Practice. Here's, here's your job, because I've got to tell you something. Just Steve being honest. Sometimes my mind can almost be a blur. Racing. How am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish that? How am I going to achieve this? How am I going to go? On and on and on and on and on and on and on. 
and I just have to sometimes call an emotional, mental, spiritual timeout and say, Lord, where I am today is my Ebenezer because hitherto has the Lord helped me. And I just want to stop right now and bless you. Do I know that you've got more for me? Absolutely I do. But I want to praise you in this season. I want to bless you in this moment. I don't want this time to get by without me realizing that I am incredibly blessed above measure and beyond my wildest imaginations. So I want to challenge you to practice. And you have to practice. You won't be good at it. I'm still not good at it, but we have to practice contentment and being content and contentment will produce thanksgiving and thanksgiving is a tremendous, tremendous value add to your life and to mine. Father, I bless you. God, I declare by faith that while I'm not where I was, I'm not where you're calling me to be. But God, in this season, though I believe for more, though I stand in faith for greater still, let me not be so encumbered with something that is your work ultimately that I forget the priority of my life in seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness and practicing contentment in my own life. God, I just pray over your precious people today. Everyone gathered in this room, those that are joining online, that today we would recognize the blessing of God. that we would just pause, not just for a season, but every day of our lives, Lord, and just remember and reflect on the goodness of God and what you've done for us. And with bold declaration declare, I am blessed. If I never see tomorrow, I am blessed today. If I don't get the report I was looking for, I am blessed right now, I'm, I will be blessed then. And when I stand with you in eternity, none of the rest of it is going to matter and I will be blessed for eternity. Lord, we give you the glory, the praise, all the honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day.